2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, reversing the wreckage in tech. The NASDAQ is still sitting 30% off its record high. We, deb- we debate what might change that slide with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today... Bryn Talkington, Brenda Vangelo, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. We always do. We're having a little bit of a bounce today Uh, in the NASDAQ, too. NASDAQ's up 1%. Still feel like we're waiting for next week. That's where all the action is. 347 yield on the 10-year note. Uh, But, Josh, what breaks the slide in tech? Because as you look at the other major averages, which have come, you know, well off of their lows, NASDAQ can't get out of its own way. And a lot of the biggest and best stocks within that index can't either. So what stops
0: that slide? I would just tell you not to fixate on it. Like the, 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 the best way to think about what's taking place right now in the market below the surface at the index level is that new groups are taking market cap away from tech. And as that process continues, it could go on for a really long time. Technology got to like 26 percent of the S&P 500. Um, it's not that it's a small industry, it's a huge industry, but that's way outsized relative to, for example, employment. Only 2% of the labor force works for technology companies. Um, so we, we've really just had outsized representation. There were good reasons for it. These were the highest quality companies with the strongest balance sheets, with the fastest earnings growth, with the most visible innovation. Like it made sense while it was taking place, what we're living through now is, is just a little bit of an unwind. And it won't be unwound all the way. But if I told you a year from now, technology might be only 20% of the S&P down from 23% currently, you probably wouldn't argue with me. And maybe the most interesting uh, question to ask is, well, what's going to pick up those three percentage points? And that's what I try to think about. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus too much on the NASDAQ. Uh, I would just focus on like, what can I do that's productive away from what's happening there.
2: But I, I just wonder, Bryn, are these no longer then the best, the, comp- the best companies, the companies with the best balance sheets, the companies with the best growth? As I'm just reading exactly what Josh just had to say about these companies. Are, are those days over? It feels like they're not, like they still are all of those things. Or maybe I'm wrong.
3: Well, they definitely have some of the most pristine balance sheets, without a, without a doubt. If you look at, I mean, even Facebook – You have Microsoft, Apple, Google, incredible balance sheets. But to build a little bit on what Josh said is going into this year, the Qs had an average annualized 10-year return, Scott, of almost 20% per year. Even with this 30% sell-off, the Qs have still averaged 16% a year. And if I go back and look at the valuations 10 years ago, they were a fraction of what they are today. And so I think a tech across the board overearned, especially the last two years. And, we're, and we're, we're peeling some of that back. And you know what I think through is not only where are we in the return cycle, which I just walked through, tech is overearned, but where are we in the economic cycle? And if you just look at this year, and I have felt that we are late stage, is that what works well in late stage? Consumer staples, utilities, and healthcare. Well, after late stage, what happens? A recession. What works well there? Consumer staples and healthcare. And what doesn't work? Tech and financials. And so as I look out next year, I want to continue to underweight tech and own other asset classes. I love selling calls. And I think ultimately, tech is the trade after the trade that people should be looking for. Because look what's happening in China. China was in a recession. Looks to be coming out because they're opening up you know, temporarily. And what's been running? High beta tech in China. And so I think tech will run again. But I think you have to look at later on in 2023, after we get a slit on the economy, until tech really is able to work off some of these multiples and potentially regain its traction.
2: Weiss, how do you see this, this critical question for investors? Because so many people were in these stocks and they're still sitting in there. Unfortunately, they've endured a lot of pain. Well, I know because I hear from a bunch of them, who want to know when this is going to reverse.
4: And I don't know what the answer is. Do you? I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I'm happy to offer an educated guess. It's not going to reverse till the second half of next year. Uh, tech will reemerge as the market leader because they are the the best earning companies. They do have the best growth prospects and they are the less cyclical. So right now you're seeing uh a move into value, which is defined as industrials, even though their PEs exceed some of the tech PEs, uh, I think actually they're they're gonna suffer a world of hurt in the first and second quarter. So when you see that happens, as the market bottoms, which I believe will be sometime in the second quarter, money will come back into tech, because it should. Because as I said, that's where the growth is, that's where the balance sheets are, as the others have said as well. In the interim though, it still is at volatility, and it is still is suffering a hangover where their PEs were expanded. And until the market stops using the metric of 2021 and 2020 as to where the stocks are, and they're cheap because they're down 50 percent or 30 percent, they're not cheap. Those were illusory multiples based upon free money. So as money goes away, I'm sorry to interrupt you. March. I'm
2: sorry to interrupt you, Steve. But ahead, do, do any of these then, and I'm speaking obviously, and I know we all are, Um, of the mega caps. Do any of them at this point deserve an above market multiple?
4: I I, I believe they do. Um, But it depends what you think the market multiple should be. So I think the market multiple shouldn't be 17 times. I think it should be more like 14 to 15 times. And so a market multiple to that makes sense. So I'm willing to give that market multiple, that premium to it, to a Microsoft, even to an Apple not to Facebook or Meta, as it's called today, because I think that they're just in, you know, they're in a downward spiral They're not going to be able to get out of maybe ever if the vision of Web.3, of Web.4, web et cetera, et cetera, doesn't take hold. So, however, I still think I can buy Microsoft at 200, Yeah, because that's where it was, and that's where it's going to be.
2: Yeah, see, that's the problem. Because it's not going
4: to be—it's not going to be separated from the market action. Is my point.
2: Yeah, I mean, that—that—I'm looking at it right now. Microsoft, 247, right? So, therein lies the problem. You—you like the stocks. You—you like these companies as as businesses, as we said, all of the attributes that they have that other companies just don't. But then there's the backdrop, uh, Brenda, which. You know, you think, well, I can if why would I buy it at 247 today? If like Weiss, I think I can get it closer to 200. I'm just going to wait. Leadership's clearly changed. That doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. So why don't I just wait? And when the stocks come down in the early part of 23, uh, I either add to the position I already have or I engage in a new one.
5: Well I think this transition has been going on for a while really I think you could argue that over the last several years there's been a huge shift in market leadership in terms of industry leadership and that a lot of these large cap tech companies have mature their maturation cycle was really accelerated by what happened during the pandemic years. So we're all coming to terms with the fact that these companies are no longer immune from an economic slowdown like they were the last major economic slowdown in 0809 when they were much earlier stage in their growth cycle. But here we are I think it's a little risky to say I don't want to own them at all especially um, if you're looking at a company like an apple for example that's such a significant part of the U.S. market. Uh, But at market cap I would say not uh, market overall. Uh, But if we um, timing these are hard and what I'm saying is this has been underway this trend has been underway for quite a while in my view. And these stocks are trading at a premium to the market. Um, I think the bigger question is uh, how much of a premium can they ultimately trade at relative to the market in a recovery scenario? And that might be lower than we, we've been used to over the last several um, of last decade uh, because they were so successful and now they're must, much more mature companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still think it's worth holding some of them. Um, would I be overweight? No. Um, and we are not uh, broadly within the technology group.
2: You know, I, I can't help but look at Tesla at this moment moment too because you know it plays partly into this story that stock Brenda just has gotten crushed it's down uh, 50% from its high it's at 170 right now it's down yet again today you've got you know questions about china production you've got questions about margins you've got questions about demand because of the deteriorating economic environment you just bought it in the second quarter of 2022 what are you doing with that
5: Yeah so when we look at the top 10 holdings in the S&P 500 of which Tesla is one and say which companies are really in industries that are continuing to take market share that are innovative and that are at an earlier stage in their growth cycle. Tesla definitely stands out in our view. Um, So that was really behind our decision to add exposure um, during the second quarter of this year. Really to close that underweight that we had uh, to Tesla relative to the S&P. But when we look at what's actually happening at the company You know growth is still incredibly strong last quarter automobile sales were up more than 40 percent. There is a great uh, margin story that should transpire as they're really able to ramp up production um, in their uh, Austin and Berlin facilities. Um, and there is still a great story about EVs taking share uh, from traditional automobiles um, around the world. So we are continuing to hold our position. Has it been volatile and disappointing? Absolutely. Uh, but we believe in the longer term story here, so we're going to stick with
2: it. The question is it going to continue to take the market share that it was able to do before as more competition um, comes online? And there's an awful lot of it, not to mention the overhang and the straight up distraction that. Twitter has become to Tesla shareholders like you and others who are watching that uh, and dealing with the ramifications and the fallout in the chart that we're both looking at right now.
5: Absolutely. Um, So clearly um, the since the Twitter announcement uh, was made uh, the the stock has acted even more poorly and clearly it's a major distraction uh, for Elon Musk. Uh, But if we look at what's actually happening at the company and actual trends in automobile sales for example. That gives us more confidence uh, that the company is still well positioned. They have first mover advantage. Yes, there is more competition coming, but we think that they've solidified a very good foundation for the company in terms of uh, continued growth from here.
2: So, you know, Weiss, I saw you, you know, listening to this conversation, and uh, I know you are on the other side of it. Um, there's been a, a, you know, sort of cult angle to stock ownership in in this stock. Uh, there's been a, you know, a tremendously sizable retail component and and maybe part of that cohort is no longer around the market because of the upset that we've had? How do you see this story panning out here?
4: Not well. If I had a CEO come to you and said, look, I'm running SpaceX. I'm running the boring company. I'm running Twitter, which is a complete nightmare. I'm running Tesla. And by the way, I'm stretched. I'm sleeping in the office. I don't have time to do all this. Uh, why would you ever want to own their company? That's point one most basic. Number two, when Twitter came to existence, when it was a great stock, and it wasn't long ago that it was a great stock, you know, their co- their competition was the Prius, and people that wore Birkenstocks were the ones that owned Priuses, so it wasn't a serious competitor, right? That was the thinking. Now, you look in a garage, and you look anywhere, and you see tremendous cars that make Tesla's look like Model T's, whether it's the Ford, uh, you know, Porsche Taycan or any of the Fords, the Ford Mustang. So competition is here. That has always been the Achilles heel. Then finally, I'm not as big a bull as I used to be on EVs. The reason being you don't have enough infrastructure. And the infrastructure companies are finding it very, very difficult to make money. So it's great that on a fast charger, you can charge a car in 20 or 30 minutes from 20 percent to 80 percent. But what happens when you've got to wait behind three others doing that in the road? So right now, I think they're good for local vehicles with home charging. And also, I know in the building we live in, charging was free. It's no longer free anymore. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these headwinds, not only against Tesla and Tesla specifically because of other things with Elon, but also against the industry that will play out maybe in six months or a year. But I think you've got to be bearish. Plus, they've got to advertise now. They're giving incentives in terms of lower prices and the economy is not what it was. So just major, major headwinds. I wouldn't own it. I'd be more predisposed to shorting it actually than owning
2: it. Josh, I mean, unless it's just real simple, it's a it's, you know, emblematic of a bull market stock going through a bear market and a tough economic picture ahead.
0: Yeah, uh, this this one's actually pretty easy. You had, a, you had basically a stock that spent a long time in an uptrend after having been one of the most volatile stocks on the planet. A very easy time to hold the stock while it was trending higher. It has not been trending higher for a long time. It's been in a downtrend all year. There's been absolutely no signal to get long it at any point. And now it's actually breaking below the December 2020 low. So the share price is indicating to you right now, at least, sentiment toward this stock. I wouldn't say the fundamentals are as bad, but sentiment toward this stock is worse than at any time uh, than the darkest days of the pandemic. And the reason why that's the case is everything that uh, Weiss just laid out, all true. You have serious competitors now with cars actually on the market. You have a question on what the immediate term TAM actually is. Um, and you've got basically a maturing business. It's a lot of China stuff going on there, which we didn't even get into. And for that reason, the stock is in a technical breakdown. It, won't, it doesn't always have to be. That's just what it is right this minute. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's tough to say, like, now is where you want to pull the trigger. Technically, the sellers look nowhere near being done. Yeah. You know, th- speaking of breakdowns, whether
2: it's, you know, in part technical and, and you know, maybe in, in part fundamental, too, I'm looking at Salesforce uh, and I'm looking at you again, uh, Brenda, because this thing is turning out to be quite the disaster in, in its own right. Right. It's also down about 50 percent year to date. Uh, lots of questions about what's happening in that company. A couple of executive departures and key ones. Mark Benioff, CEO, is now the sole leader. Right. And he's coming on with Kramer again tonight, a week after he did before. Um, you know, fair to say, I think some damage control. Right. He, he trying to get back the narrative of what has developed around this stock. How do you see this one? Because this story has been ugly of late.
5: It has been. And I think the executive departures in our view are troubling. Um, and um, so that it's definitely under review um, from our perspective. Although I'd say, you know, the characteristics of the company, the recurring element of the story we continue to like, the stock is down significantly, as you mentioned, and really not quite as expensive as it used to be, certainly. Uh, but I would say this also falls into the camp of another large cap technology company that's really more mature and is showing signs that it's not immune from a slowdown. So slowing trends. Um, And that, again, kind of begs the argument about what multiple is really fair here. And then on top of it, now we have disruptions um, on the executive side. So I think um, this, in our view, may be a a point where um, we move on and wait and see for more clarity. Uh, We haven't made that decision just yet, but it certainly is a stock that's under review in our portfolio.
2: I'm sorry. Uh, Bryn, I want to get your take, too. I think we've gotten your shot back as well. So it's good to have you back. Um, How do you view this name. At what point does it become attractive to you, if if at all?
3: Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think it I don't think it ever will anytime soon. I think that this is a perfect example of it's had a wonderful run, but in terms of the software, it's an incredibly expensive software to implement inside of your company. There's so much competition within the CRM space. And so I think that as the economy slows, as everyone is checking their budgets and making sure they're making the right spend, I think the competitive side of the CRM market is just getting bigger and bigger. And I think the multiple on the stock still at, what, 25 is still expensive. And so I think, you know, who knows about the departures? I, I agree with Brenda. But I think there is so many other companies I would rather put my money in yeah. than, than, than Salesforce. Unfortunately, where I think not that it's, I don't think you can look at a stock and say it's down 50%. So it's cheap. I think you have to look forward because all of these tech companies over earned. And so if I'm going to underwrite it today, I think the stock gets considerably cheaper or, or trade sideways. You know, remember in 2002, Microsoft was at 32. In 2012, Microsoft was at 32. Mm-hmm, so so mm-hmm. don't think that these types of companies can do nothing for 10 years because we saw that with Microsoft.
2: I'm also thinking, Josh, you know, the Kind of outlooks that I see for 2023 don't portend well for stocks like this or Tesla for that matter. You know, street strategists are not looking for a whole lot next year, whether it's Marco Kalanovic, JP Morgan, right? 4,200 by year end 2023. By the way, he's going to be on with us tomorrow. Uh, And we can't wait for that interview uh, as well. JP Morgan's Marco Kalanovic, he's their chief global market strategist is going to be with us to talk exactly about what he sees in the year ahead. But he's not the only one who sees it. And the picture looks awfully similar. Near-term estimate of fair value is 4020, 4200 for Wells Fargo for the end of next year as well. So that's not a great story for those kinds of stocks either, Josh.
0: It's very rare. Maybe it's never happened before. That consumer discretionary, which, by the way, that's the basket Tesla's in, uh, bottom in advance of an actual recession. So, what could be different this time is we could have like non synchronized recessions in different sectors, different industries. I think that's the Citigroup call right now. I could picture that where like GDP stays okay, but like the housing market is clearly in recession. We think tech, media, telecom, clearly, if not there, on their way. So, like that could be the environment. That's really tough. And then you have people having these semantic debates over, is it a recession technically or not? It won't matter. It'll feel like one for different segments of the market at different times. Could the auto segment, EV autos, get caught up in that? Of course it will. Absolutely. There's no way around it. So I totally understand that. I think the the biggest uh, difficulty right now is to harbor these two simultaneous thoughts in your head at once and be okay with the the, uh, disharmony of them. The first is that we're set up for a continued run into year-end based on a couple of factors. The first one is internals. We've had three of these bounces this year. Um, The first one was 11% in March, 17% in August. This one is at 11% so far from the lows in October. Um, In each of those, you had the rally essentially stop when the S&P percentage of stocks above the 200-day topped out at 59 60%. We've gotten well well through that this time. This is the best of all of the breadth thrusts and the best internals that we've had on one of these bounce back rallies and I think it deserves our respect. We had 64% mm. of the S&P 500's components above the 200 day. The other thing, the put call ratio literally century highs, okay? 1.46 on the put call ratio, which is the highest since 1997. We hit about 1.5 in mid-November, and the market exploded to the upside. So long as that stays high, the story tells us that positioning is going to benefit the bulls. But again, both of those things I'm referencing are very short-term, like Santa claus stuff. stuff.
2: Yeah, the yeah, bigger yeah.
0: picture is probably head—well, you've got a yield curve. The three-month, 10-year is inverted by 83 basis points. I know. Nobody is 60 even— 60 years, we've only seen that— Yeah, it's it's crazy. So that that's a very tough push and pull, Judge, which people are struggling with that. Yeah. And every day we're on shaky ground, which is why even those who think that you could get a Santa
2: Claus rally think that's going to be it. Uh, Because, you know, of all the reasons that you just said, Weiss, it plays right into you. Uh, You're not waiting around to find out. Uh, in some respects because I got a couple of sales from you that I want to get through before we take our first break. Uh, We're going to save one for later. But Dick's Sporting Goods you sold and Honeywell you sold as well. Give us the reasons.
4: You know, Dick's was just just a great trade. And uh, I just want to take money off the table. It's very tough to make money in this market. And uh, where I can make it, go in as a trade and make it, I'm going to take it out Uh, in terms of Honeywell made a little money, not nearly as much as as in Dick's. But uh, I thought it was kind of expensive. And I love the story. It's definitely on my perpetual buy list. I want to come back to it at some point. But given my market view, and my interest in taking off exposure, those were the likely ones to do it. Um, look, we may have a Santa Claus rally. We may not. I just don't know. Given my view next year, I've just sighed for that Santa Claus rally. It's getting very late, very early. So. I don't want to worry about I got too many other things to look at, too much to do to prepare for next year with my shopping list, do the fundamental work. I'd rather not have a distraction of stocks, particularly when my biases, they are going lower.
2: Yeah. All right. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Coming up, we have bullish calls today from the street on energy. That is a uh, sector in question, to say the least. It's the worst performer this month. You've got oil, uh, a serious question as to where that is going. And we'll discuss what it all means next.
6: Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
2: All right, Energy Stocks trying for their first positive day of the month. It's following a number of bullish headlines out today from some big names in that space. All right. Kinder Morgan gave up beat Guidance, Exxon expand the buyback. Chevron raises capital spending budget. You you get the uh, idea here. Uh, Bryn, you have the most exposure of anybody on the show today in that space. And I know for obvious reasons, it plays well in your hometown of Houston, Texas. Nonetheless, oil has been right around 73 bucks. Are you concerned about where these stocks are going from here?
3: Concern, no. I mean, you you definitely see this huge delta between oil and like an XLE, right? There's a huge gap. Oil's a totally different constituent. I think that right now, what the market's going to be stressing about, and I think we'll continue to see some volatility, probably to the downside, is that whereas the U.S. economy is slowing, that would put downside. If you think we're going into a recession, people, the algos are going to want to sell oil. But as a juxtaposition, China At the end of 2021, you know, China can consume around 15 million barrels of oil per day. They're just now starting to reopen. So that's gonna put upward pressure. So I think there's gonna be this tug, this pull and tug from the two biggest economies in the world, creating a lot of volatility. And so I don't think investors should expect 50% returns per year for energy, which we've seen plus of that for the past two years. But I do think you have some of the best balance sheets. These companies are paying off debt. They're increasing their buybacks. They're, they're putting out more shareholder yield. And so I think that these are still a really strong asset class. But I think you can sell calls against it because it's volatile. And so if you, I don't think you're going to see a straight-up trajectory. And I would rather just own the stocks and sell calls to give me some protection and some extra income. But just understand, this is a volatile asset class. But this tug-of-war between China and the U.S., I think, is going to put a base on actually how low oil can actually go. So
2: we got crossover ownership today for Chevron and Cheniere. Brenda Chevron, Weiss Chevron, Brenda Shaneer, Josh Shaneer. But, Brenda, you first. You have both of these. What about your outlook for these stocks?
5: Yeah, I think, you know, when we look at what is the return potential from here for the stocks in this group, in our view, it's certainly more subdued, as Bryn mentioned. We're not expecting a 50 percent return, but are we expecting, you know, mid-single-digit return along with the, the dividend yield on top of that? Yes. And so that, in our view, you, you know, is still attractive when we look at what what may be to come next year in terms of overall market volatility and return. But we do think when we look at this group, you know, you have to ask, Cash flow is great. That's tremendous. But how much better can it get from here? Um, And in our view, it's not going to be incrementally that much better. But it's great that it's as good as it is. And it's great that uh, companies are showing up balance sheets, returning cash to shareholders, buying back shares. Those are all certainly positive things. Uh, But in terms of this being a a leading group in an economic recovery scenario, uh, we don't see that from here, just given how far the group has come.
2: Do we worry at all? Josh, about dividends in, in these stocks? Uh, you know, if oil goes below 70, if it has a six handle, if who knows what happens with the economy and it goes towards a five handle?
0: I'm busy worried about love handles this time of year, so I don't know about worrying about <laughs> dividends. I don't, I don't think, I don't, <laughs> look, I don't, I'm not like bullish per se, like on all energy across the board. I'm like very bullish on electricity. And actually, If you take a look at what's gone on this year, uh, WTI crude is actually flat. We have round-tripped the Russian invasion, which is amazing when you think about it, considering the rhetoric at the time about $200 barrels of oil and a whole continent of, of a trillion people freezing to death. So we're not talking like that anymore. Natural gas is way more interesting. Natural gas is up having a big day today. It's at $6. It's up 65% year to date, again, versus oil flat. Why? Oil is not very involved in electricity. Natural gas is. And when you think about LNG, this is like one of the companies that is literally helping to uh, rescue Europe from its situation this year, and will be instrumental a decade from now, not only shipping LNG into uh, Spain and all the other ports that are being built, but Asia as well. I think this is a secular growth story. It doesn't matter what Jerome Powell does with interest rates. This is something that's inevitable. Um, I also like some of the utilities, Southwest Gas, special situation with Carl Icahn, has four board seats. I don't think he's going to lose money here. I've also talked about NEE on the show, NextEra Energy. It's half utility. They own Florida Power and Light. Uh, And then the other half is this amazing renewables business, with huge growth they're building utility scale uh, renewables and I think you've got certain stocks like this that benefit from the uptick in demand for electricity and I like that trade better than what's the price of a barrel of oil next week I have no idea
2: all right check out this mystery chart it's up nearly 25 percent this year approaching new highs and the stock just got another bullish call saying it could rally double digits. From here, we're gonna reveal that name and debate it in our call of the day, which is coming up next.
3: Investments into protecting the world's ecosystems will need to double to $384 billion annually by 2025 in order to combat the loss of natural resources, according to the U.N. Members from almost 200 countries are meeting at the COP15 Biodiversity Summit in Montreal this week. A draft framework calls for raising 1% of the world's GDP for conservation by 2030. That's your ESG Fest fact of the day.
2: Alright, Hershey hitting a new 52-week high today on heels of an upgrade from UBS. We've made it our call of the day. Why? Because Brenda you own it. Price target 269 from 244. That's 14% upside. Hershey they say is going to remain in a beat and raise cycle through 2025. Tell us about this one. We just don't talk about it that often.
5: No, and it's it definitely has been flying under the radar screen, but it's been an incredible stock this year and for many years for that matter. But if we look at the consumer staples universe, you know, Hershey really stands out as being one of the better organic growers within that space. And that has certainly continued this past year. And and going forward, we expect the same where you're getting not only price, but also volume increases. And it's a category that I think is pretty recession resistant. Um Everybody loves to spend candy on holidays, especially um, it's certainly the American way. But if we look at where valuation is today, it's at 27 times forward earnings, which is a little on the rich side. It could certainly stay expensive, but I think it's a little late in the game to be upgrading the stock here, given the move we've seen so far. We're planning to stick with our position here. uh, But again, are mindful that valuation is looking certainly more full than it did a year ago.
2: Yeah, no bear market there. Uh, As we said, just to underscore, 24 percent. Year to date, uh, six months, 14%, one year, 31%. Uh, Another one, all-time high today, Weiss Merck. We highlight it. It's the second best Dow stock year to date, up 44%. Highlight it because you just sold it. Taking profits, I presume?
4: Yeah, taking profits. Look, I've got such a tag end left, it's uh, consider myself out of the position. Uh, I bought his trade. Ken Frazier left this company in phenomenal shape. I mean, he came in as very underrated potential CEO. He was you know, basically an attorney, general counsel, and did an amazing job setting this company up. So this is one I'm sure I'm gonna regret selling. Uh it's not expensive. Um and I and I like the the opportunity set going forward, particularly 40 billion in roughly cash on their balance sheet, or I should say buying power. So I hope to revisit it. Um you know I probably got a little a little hasty in selling it. But again, it's just my overriding philosophy, take some profits where you can in a very, very tough market if they're not gonna be core positions forever.
2: Yeah. What about that, Bryn, Uh, in terms of healthcare more broadly and this idea of, of taking positions in some names that have had a pretty good year?
3: So I think you know healthcare really squarely fits in not only where we are right now, late stage, but as the economy does slow, and if we go into a recession, once again, these these healthcare names are not really economically sensitive versus like financials and tech. And so I think that investors, in aggregate, are going to continue to keep these kinds of names. In addition, a name like Hershey's on the consumer staple side, I think that healthcare gives you growth at a reasonable price. It gives you stability of earnings across, and you get multiple sectors. I mean, within healthcare, you have a United Healthcare, you have a Merck. You have some Abv with biotech, and so I just think it's the right kind of sector at the right time, and you also get a nice free cash flow yield. So I think healthcare will continue to be a strong performer. You know, at least the first half of half of next year.
2: Okay, straight ahead, the committee is ready to grade your trade. Send us a specific trade, as many of you have. Ask halftime at cnbc.com or tweet us at halftime report. Use the hashtag grade my trade. We are going to grade some next. We are back, and yes, it is time again for Grade My Trade. And first up, we're going to grade Gary's Disney trade. Okay, here's the deal, guys. Gary bought 550 Disney shares at $99.97. That's right when Bob Iger returned on November the 25th. Brenda, you own it, so let's grade it. What do you think?
5: Yeah, so I would give this one a B plus Um, and I would say the only reason I wouldn't give it an A because we continue to really like the company, love the ecosystem, um, et cetera, lifelong customers is clearly, you know, the board is making a management change here, not happy with the way the company has been managed And Bob Iger is going to have his work cut out for him to find a replacement over the next couple of years. So he's not going to be around forever. But we still think this is a pretty good entry point here. Really like the longer term story. think the barriers to entry are incredible. Um, So we continue to like the stock.
2: Yeah, they do have the ad supported uh, Disney Plus Mm -hmm. that launches today. Uh, So there is news around that as well. Let's do another one, uh, if we could. And it is for you, Josh. Uh, Mike from New York. We need to grade his trade. He says he bought CrowdStrike at one hundred fourteen dollars and eighty four cents and Amazon at eighty seven dollars and eighty three cents. You own both. Let's take CrowdStrike first.
0: I own both. I own both at higher prices than those. I did add to CrowdStrike uh, a little bit lower, but I mean, I'm I'm sticking around. I'm a long term investor in both of these. Amazon has been a disaster this year. It's actually one of the worst stocks I own. But I've been in it for a long time, and I have seen the stock act poorly before, just not for as extended a period of time. This is now years of performance wiped off of that thing. Uh, but I do believe Amazon's going to have some great times ahead. This is just not a great environment for them, and there's a lot that they need to work on to improve. So uh, I would say that's not one to get excited about in the near term. CrowdStrike, I think, is a is a great buy. Uh, there's a company called Rackspace that if you're following the news, uh, RXT is the ticker. They just had this massive ransomware attack. I don't, th- I don't know if it's made like the Wall Street Journal, but the industry is going crazy. There are countless uh, small and mid-sized business customers on the Rackspace exchange that have been told, basically, go to Microsoft. We can't help you. They had to disconnect the email server um, because it's been so compromised I don't even know if they're making the payment to the ransomware artist or not, but it's a very bad situation. And I think what that should do uh, is that should remind you this is not discretionary stuff. You have got to have cybersecurity uh, almost regardless of what the economic environment is if you're any kind of small, mid sized business or gigantic Fortune 100 company. So I like the space, and CrowdStrike is my favorite operator in the space regardless of what goes on in the economy this year okay good stuff
2: thank you for those grades and keep the trades coming in you can send us a specific move ask halftime at cnbc.com again you can tweet us at halftime report use the hashtag grade my trade. we are getting a lot of them which i love uh so please keep them coming up next mike santoli joins us with his midday word halftime's right back Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now from the Stock Exchange with his midday word. We've talked about this directionless, so to speak, uh, market, uh, Mike. Yep. But Josh made the point earlier, and I, I, I'd love your opinion on it, of, you know, technically speaking, under the surface, the markets looked pretty good. And you got to respect that fact.
1: It has. Um, no, internally, it's been better than uh, the indexes might make it look just because the mega cap weakness has been uh, pretty much the driver uh, of the pressure. I do think it didn't really get to the point where you said, OK, the market is telling you that it's really in takeoff mode. So that's why I think we uh, we are kind of in this flatlining area. In fact, so much so, I just looked November 10th, the S&P closed at 39.56, OK? We are at 39.53 as we speak right now. Um, that was almost a month ago. That was the day of the October CPI result that was showing a cooling off of inflation and actually had the market pop. So it's not the worst thing in the world to go sideways at this level. It's also a, almost exactly the midpoint of like a seven, eight month range. And I think it reflects more opposing currents and a lot of disagreement over which way we go. Uh, you know, a lot of focus today on, you know, credit card usage going up and weekly continuing jobless claims rising. But both of those things are rising from such extreme, strong levels that, it you know, pre-pandemic, it would not really raise an eyebrow. So I think that's the tricky uh, piece of things right now. Also, as we've talked about before, Scott, expectations have really been beaten down for what the economy and the markets can give us in 2023. That's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, but it's th- it's better than the alternative, I think.
2: That's why yields are kind of doing very little, right? Ten years below 3.5. Yep and the two years just at, you know,
1: 4.3. Exactly. I mean, we, you know, we've, we're, we're past peak inflation panic. Um, that's a good thing. But we also uh, we think we see where the Fed's going. But but now it's all about, you know, what's the effect of what they've already done? I mean, I know that's an old debate, but that's where we are.
2: Yeah, it's the it is the debate. All right, Michael, thank you. See you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli at Stock Exchange. All right. Coming up next, chart of the day. The Dow stock having its best quarter since the year 2000. We're going to reveal that name and the trade, of course, next. All right. Let's do our chart of the day. It is Boeing. Take a look. Stock's up on three bullish calls today. It's also on pace for its best quarter since the quarter, the third quarter of 2000. Uh, so that's why we've made it our chart of the day today. Brenda, you own that as well. Assumed buy at City 222 price target there. Price target raised at Wells to 218. Named the top pick today as well at Cowan.
5: Yeah, I think Boeing has finally turned a corner here. And I think it really... Um, began with the analyst day that the, that the company held in early November where they really laid out for the first time since 2018 um, some solid guidance around free cash flow expectations and so on. Um, so I think that um, you know we're likely on the cusp of, of more of a, um, an uptrend in terms of the aerospace cycle in replacing planes. Um, Boeing is well positioned. Um, all the stars have not fully aligned. However, we still have the 730, 730 737 Max um, that has not um, been approved in China yet, although that is, there is nothing baked into the company's expect, forward expectations uh, there. Um, so it's nice to see the sell side of finally showing Boeing a little bit of love here and upgrading the stock. Um, we've been holding it um, really since uh, the summer of 2020 is when we first uh, were involved here, uh, but it's nice to see things finally moving in the right direction.
2: All right. Guys, what do you think, Steve Weiss about Boeing? Yeah, charts, I've got this, undeniable at this point, right? You you have traded this in the past.
4: I have traded it. Uh, the only time I really invested in it, I, I lost a fortune. Um, so I've traded it. It's been sort of mixed. Look, I have a bias against I just think management is is among the worst I, I've seen with repeated mistakes, repeatedly misleading the street, not having a grip on their own business. So that bias, when I look at the world of stocks out there, keeps me away from Getting serious about buying this. I know it's duopoly. I've seen duopolies fail all the time. If you go back to the old days of Coke and Pepsi, or Burger King, McDonald's, they couldn't get out of their own ways. Deer was another one until they got great management and got religion on on profitability. This, the management's just going to keep me away until Calhoun is gone. All right, all right. Simple as that. Bryn, quickly to you.
3: Yeah. I mean, I sold the stock at 274 as a trade a year and a half ago. I just think this was once an iconic company and it just can't get out of, out of its way. It's had a good run, but I would only rent the stock. And I, I agree with Steve. It, it can't get out of its way. And I think management has not demonstrated they can execute consistently.
2: All right. Let's do our final trades next.
4: Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
2: we got a busy overtime tonight, 4 o'clock Eastern. Earnings from Costco and Broadcom and Lulu and DocuSign and Chewy. So we're going to bring you the latest on all of that, show you the stock moves that follow those releases too. Cameron Dawson, Eric Jackson are going to be with me. So we're going to kick all that around. I hope to join me four o'clock Eastern time. Let's do final trades. Brenda, what you got?
5: I've got striker, really well positioned looking into next year with all the electric uh, medical procedures that still are, are in backlog that should be completed over the next couple of years. And they're really poised to, to benefit from that.
2: All righty, thank you for that. to Talkington, final trade, what and why?
3: Uh, Freeport. It's China. It's the electrification of everything. It's windmills. It's solar. Um, they all need a ton of copper. But I would also sell the March 45 calls. You can collect around a little over two dollars. You get a five and a half percent yield for a little over four months.
2: All right. Thank you for that trade.
0: Downtown Josh Brown. What do we got? Southwest gas special situation. Three point six percent dividend yield while you wait for things to play out. I do think there are a lot of different ways to make money here, so I'm staying long. All right. As you said, a play on uh, Carl
2: Icahn and his presence there. And Steve Weiss, is that you with Merck, which you just sold?
4: Yeah, I want to put a name there that's familiar to you, Scott. <laughs> uh, look, I, I've got a small tag in position, I said. I'm not going to buy anymore, more, but I think if you've got right. the right view of the market, it's a great story and it's cheap stock.
2: All right. You should keep the time too. something that's unfamiliar to you. Good to see everybody. The exchange okay. is now.